0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com
1: for more information.
2: Welcome to M Squared TechCast a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Roush and Mike Brennan.
1: Hey, it's Matt Roush And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another fun-filled episode of the M Squared TechCast. Uh, We've got a wide-ranging show for you today. Yes, we're going to have a visit a little later from uh, Fred Brown, Our favorite epidemiologist and uh, Dr. Doom, as I call him, but uh, we're going to start things off with a little bit more positive news about the redevelopment of a longtime um, vacant property with a storied history in uh, suburban Detroit. So, uh, Gary Roberts, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience here?
3: Yes, so thank you, Matt and Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm Gary Roberts, and I'm the uh, planner for the MITC, which is the Michigan International Technology Center Redevelopment Authority, which is governed by jointly by Plymouth Township and Northville Township.
1: Okay, and tell us a little bit about the MITC property, its history, and uh, what's, what's being planned for it now. Well, its history is very interesting,
3: um, and the reason that this property has remain vacant in, in the face of, of a, what is otherwise a, a very a prosperous neighborhood is because it's been under government and institutional control now for, uh, except for the last couple of years, the prior 120 or so. In, in the day, in the early 1900s, if you were a bad guy in the city of Detroit, you were sent to a work camp and it was called DeHoco, Detroit House of Corrections. And actually, uh, east of uh, east of Ridge Road, south of Five Mile, there was a camp set up. But the camp, the work part of the work camp, was that they had almost 800 acres of land that was was available for farming and livestock. And so, when you're the work that you did, if you were uh, stationed, so to speak, at the work camp, was to go out in the fields and and work all this stuff to to create food and. And, and other things for the people of the city of Detroit. That's just that's just how it went. It later went, and parts of it went to the state corrections for the Scott Women's Facility, and then the Detroit House of Corrections evolved from a, a camp to an actual uh, prison-like building where they held uh, more tougher criminals for a long time. That was closed in the 70s. Uh, the state Took it over and ran it for a little while longer into the into the mid 80s, and then shut the whole thing down. And uh, so, uh, it just sat vacant for a long time. and It was sort of paralyzed in the in the in the corrections world um, because they they um, you know they didn't really have a property disposition section. So the Michigan Land Bank enters the scene, who who is it? Who is you know responsible to dispose of surplus state properties and challenge properties? And uh, they kind of got the ball rolling. Um, the the uh, the Michigan Land Bank, um, a guy by the name of Jim Tischler, has, has overseen the transition. Uh, years ago, the properties were split up. Northville Township, very wisely, almost 15 years ago or so, uh, purchased a bunch of the property directly from the city of Detroit in the name of future economic development. Similarly, Plymouth Township has a parcel. In fact, this and the city of Detroit still has one large parcel uh, of it. So it, that's why it sat for a long time. Um, then the market sort of caught up with it. The demand was there. There are very few sites left along the M14 corridor for new high-tech research and development kinds of construction. They've been very successful in both communities attracting those. And so the, 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 the need or the demand, if you will, catches up with the uh, with the property, and now we've got new development. Finally,
4: why don't we uh, describe what the new development is? I know you had your ribbon cutting last week. I was invited to that, but uh, I was just coming back from a vacation, so I didn't get a chance to get out there. So, talk about what's available right now, and what's mo- what are you doing moving
3: forward? Well, the, the first the first property to develop was actually a Chinese firm called Jean Ding. They've built an R and D center right on Five Mile. In the first piece. Within our within our zone to, uh, to do so and they have moved into their building and it's a beautiful facility. Um, what the, the, the groundbreaking last week was was really a milestone for us because it's the first time we've been able to take one of these larger parcels this was a 130 acre gross parcel and, and attract a, a, a world- class developer who would come in and put in a road and an infrastructure and subdivide, subdivide the property, for smaller construction. And they have sites that will be uh, suitable for, uh, you know, 15 to 200,000 square foot facilities, which is
1: exactly in the target market that
3: we're after.
1: Right. And I I know that area is really prime for Light manufacturing R and D. When you drive along M fourteen uh, west of two seventy five, that's all you see. Uh, you know, for several miles out M fourteen, and this property is just north of there. Right.
3: Right. It's just north of there, and and, and you're exactly exactly right, Matt. the the uh, The area has lent itself primarily to uh, transportation oriented engineering firms. You know, and and if you're in the business, you, you know a lot of those names like like Z F and Brembo Brakes and 80 and, yeah, and right. those yeah. kinds of guys. Right. They're all there. So and and that's been successful. The synergy of that was was sort of a self propelled thing until we ran out of sites to put any more.
1: Yeah.
4: So is that your anticipation then going forward, it was described as uh, you you're hoping to get high tech companies would that be since there's so much auto related stuff in and around the Ann Arbor area, and of course in that particular area that we're talking
3: about does that do you
4: anticipate that's what you're going to get is more auto related stuff
3: yeah it, it, there's not there's nothing exclusive about that, but that seems to be the synergy that we have you know there are sort of three three nodes for that in our metro market there's Ann Arbor itself there's the M14 corridor, and then there's Auburn Hills. So there are three sort of sub-markets that have lent itself to those kind of guys, and we fit right in the middle of there nicely.
4: And uh, is the the fact that the U of M is right there and a lot of research comes out of the U of M, does this play into that? Is that what is attracting some of these companies or what?
3: Uh, I think so. I think the the University of Michigan has a great synergistic effect for this kind of for this kind of user, as does things like location to the airport, um, the ability to get downtown fairly quickly. Uh, a lot of these companies are internationally headquartered. And so there's a, a great emphasis on travel and ease of travel and, and getting to us. So that's that plays into it as well. And does does this, I'm sorry I,
1: this, that. I was just curious, does this parcel include the former uh, regional psychiatric hospital that was out there?
3: No, that's actually up on Seven Mile. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's a, that is in Northville Township as well. You're right, and that and that is uh, the, the remaining piece of it uh, is is dedicated for parkland. The uh, front half of that has already been sold to uh, the Showstack firm, who's developing okay. commercial there. All right, so uh, you had your ribbon
4: cutting. Uh, you, you've got. Uh, you, are, are companies sort of nibbling around the edges, taking a look at this now? Because I'd be mean, part of it would be, there would be some really great places for their employees to buy houses or, uh, you know, get a get a condo or an apartment or something in, in that sort of area around there, right? I mean, so it'd be, not only could they have their facilities there, but their employees could be close by,
3: right? Right, there, there are two big drivers when it comes to the more of the personal side, but one is, one is that quality of life and quality of residential opportunities and school districts and all of those things. And certainly Northville Township and Plymouth Township uh, have, have really a good range of product for people to live in. And the number of, of graduate engineers in proximity is also a very important piece that people look at. And we seem to have a high concentration of automotive related guys that live in and around the, the, that area. So that that's, that's certainly part of
1: yeah, man. Yeah, my see, uh, my my former <clears throat> excuse me, my former employer, the uh, Engineering Society of Detroit, is fond of saying that uh, the Detroit area has more engineers per capita than any place else on Earth. So there's plenty of talent, you know, around.
3: Right, that. and I think that's you know that just <clears throat> generally that's why a lot of these these international firms and they're you know Asian and. European and everywhere um, focus on us because of, I think because of that, I think there's some comfort in the synergy of, of seeing the success of all these related type firms around you. And then add that to the, the electric vehicle uh, thing that's going on in Ann Arbor. You know, this is, this is really cutting edge stuff. And we have some great new uh, facilities either in, in process or, or there now Rivian for example, is in, is in uh, headquartered in Plymouth Township. Great. great stuff coming out of there.
4: Yeah, this area is not very far from U of M North Campus where all the Center for Automotive Research is there. And uh, you have got a lot of uh, various other transportation related uh, activities in North Campus. Gosh, that can't be more than a 10 minute drive from from where this is,
3: right? Well, that's that's what we say. It's it's ten minutes if you're moving pretty good, but yeah, ten fifteen <laughs> minutes. It's, well, if I'm driving it, it's ten minutes. You know,
4: yeah. well, not
1: not not during rush hour on US twenty three. Now, come on, let's be realistic here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, you've got M City, which is the University of Michigan's connected and autonomous vehicle proving ground. You've got the American Center for Mobility at the former Willow Run site that's near there too. Yeah. So I true. mean, the uh, the opportunities for R and D there are spectacular.
3: Yeah, that's 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 our story. We uh, we we think proximity being there a little bit, you know, sort of uh, east of Ann Arbor opens up access to both the big three headquarters as well as uh, not that far to the Toyota Toyota Center. So uh, everything to fall together for us in location wise. We just need to get 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 this next phase moving so we can entertain these platforms to get new stuff built.
4: And like are you say, you, you can just shoot down two seventy five, and you're at Metro Airport. Boom, you're out of
1: there, right? So uh, yeah,
3: we use twenty minutes for that one, but that's twenty minutes. <laughs> okay, <All> right, okay.
1: <laughs> that's our story. All right. Okay. So are are you worried at all about the increase in remote work that we've seen in the pandemic? Uh, you know, perhaps slowing this down, or what? What? What's your stand on that?
3: You know, if if this was a a, a pure office market, sort of like Troy is. And and even Southfield to some extent, where you have a high concentration of purely office workers, I think that that absorption is slowing. In our situation, these buildings have laboratories and specialized equipment and dynamometers mm. and things that you just aren't going to find in an office context, and you're not going to certainly find it in your home office.
1: So yes, we, it's kind of hard to work on a four wheel dyno at home, right? Yeah, right,
3: that's and that's right, <laughs> and that's exactly you know the kind of buildings that we're building, and so I don't see. Uh too many people saying, Gee, I wish we were working more from home because we can because they can't uh I'm sure to some extent some some can and do, but largely the tech side of it requires the facility. All right we've got about a
4: minute left, so why don't you provide the information that anybody interested in learning more about this development uh, how they can reach out to you and other folks?"
3: Well, Mike, thanks for asking that one. We just in the in the time of the groundbreaking uh ceremony, we also launched our brand new website, which is mitc-usa.org, and that has a connection to all the properties diagrams and uh contact information that you could ever want. Okay.
1: Oh, very nice. I just I just looked it up. It's a that's a very pretty website. So, congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. Once again, that's MITC-USA.org for more information on the Michigan International Technology Center in Plymouth and Northville townships. Uh, thanks for being with us today, Gary. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. All right. We'll be right back in a minute with another uh, segment of the M-Squared TechCast. For right now, this is Matt Rausch.
4: And Mike Brennan.
1: And you're watching News.tv.
4: I don't hear
3: the music.
1: <laughs> Dave? <laughs> did, did, we lose, did we lose David?
3: I don't know. <laughs> well, well, right you're like, you're going to lose me, so I'll sign off. All right. Off. Well, thanks
4: very all much. Right, thanks,
3: Gary. Thanks, guys.
5: Lawrence, Lawrence Technological Technology. University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything
2: salaries of lawrence tech grads are among the highest of any university in america plan a campus visit to meet with counselors faculty and coaches why wait find out more at ltu.edu what do you get at lawrence technological university everything great labs and studios supportive professors plus a full campus life naia athletics and all the software you need to succeed be smart be more at ltu possible is everything Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Matt
1: Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with the second segment today of the M Squared Techcast. Mike, why don't you introduce our next guest?
4: Yeah, we have the Michigan Public Service Commissioner, uh, Tremaine Phillips. How are you doing today?
5: Good afternoon. Hanging in there like the rest of us here.
4: <laughs> All right. Good. Now, one of the things that caught my attention, I think it was last week, uh, I get about 500 emails a day, so sometimes I lose track of when I got them. But uh, one of the things we like to cover on this show is there's also a lot of cyber scams and, and other kinds of scams out there, unfortunately. And apparently now there's these utility scams going on. And why don't you talk a little bit about what that what's happening with that?
5: Yeah, well, first, as a little bit of background, uh, I am a commissioner at the Michigan Public Service Commission. We're the uh, principal agency for regulating the electricity, natural gas, and telecommunications industries. And in that capacity, we are uh, tasked with ensuring that Michigan residents have access to safe and reliable electricity, natural gas, and telecommunication services. So again, as a part of that role, Certainly, educating customers on uh, how they can protect themselves from utility scams is is really integral. And utility scams have always been around, uh, but what we certainly see is that one, they pick up during the holidays, uh, and they've also picked up during the pandemic. And that is because more people are at, are at home, we're all on our laptops or cell phones, so there's more of an opportunity for scammers to. Uh, have access uh, to us and, and to our personal information or it's because, uh, you know, we are going through this cycle of customers just having more contact with their utility because of the economic and other circumstances of the pandemic. It's creating an opening for utility scammers to uh, be more innovative, unfortunately, and find more opportunities to uh, put uh, customers at risk. So, are more of these scams
1: coming uh, over the phone or online, or is there is it is it a combination of both?
5: It, it really is uh, not only through email and uh, by telephone, but we're also seeing uh, some scams take place door door to door. Really. Person. Hmm. Uh, and then also, I, my father just uh, it wasn't a utility scam, but it was a prepaid uh, gift card scam. Was contacted through uh, Facebook Messenger, Uh, so social media is certainly another a pathway that this is happening. So you know what we really want to ensure, no matter where uh, those um, avenues a a scammer is coming into contact with a customer, we just want to make sure that customers are aware of the situation that they're in. If they know that they're not behind on their utility bills, but uh, a scammer is calling them on uh, via the telephone and saying otherwise. Uh, Certainly don't be pressured into anything to, uh, you know, if you face a situation where it does not feel like it makes sense or it's uncomfortable, contact your utility, uh, ask for identification and other ID information of that individual and just be, uh, you know, more suspect about uh, what the information that they uh, may be asking for or requiring
4: and reading your press release it seems like the the scam is they call you up and say hey if you don't give us your credit card information right now we're going to cut off your service in some way or something along those lines right, right? exactly exactly
5: yeah. you know uh, again because of the uh the economic situation that uh, unfortunately the pandemic has put a number of customers uh throughout the state and throughout the country in uh, as the utilities begin to resume more near normal uh, utility shutoff practices, it again gives that opening for these uh, scammers to come in and to try and use some of these more forceful or coercive tactics. But utilities would never uh, call you and say, if you do not pay a prepaid credit card or buy Bitcoin in some circumstance. Oh,
4: yeah, that's a dead giveaway if they say yeah, Bitcoin, a right? that's a dead giveaway yeah. there.
5: Uh, The utilities will never do that. And and certainly during this time period, what we've seen from the utilities is they're actually being uh, very understanding in terms of uh, offering pathways for payment plans. There is uh, customer utility bill forgiveness programs. There there are a number of different opportunities that the utilities are putting forth to help customers during this challenging time. Uh, So, you know, we're, we're seeing certainly the opposite in terms of what the practices uh, the electricity and natural gas utilities are employing uh, to assist customers during this time. Yeah. My personal favorite is when they ask for gift cards. Um,
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> yes. As far as I know, DTE does not take, you know, uh, Amazon.
4: <laughs> or Bitcoin. If they ask for Bitcoin, yeah. right. ding,
5: ding, ding, the bell should be yeah. going At off. At least right? not yet. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in another decade or so. But that's oh, yeah. not yeah. the uh, payment arrangements they have thus far. But, but uh, you know, again, um, it, it, because there is just so much more interaction happening between the customer and utilities during this time period, just the utilities are putting out a lot more information about how to assist customers, whether it's through energy efficiency, payment plans, or other means, you know, it does create this open for this confusion. And so uh, please, you know, feel free to contact your utility or to go to the Michigan Public Service Commission website. And we have plenty of information on how to uh, best avoid some of these uh, more, um, uh, I guess, frequent utility scams.
4: Can we talk a little bit about? I know I've seen a number of press releases come across the transom about what you guys are doing to help folks that are because right now, you know, we're the 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 plan that the feds were going to give us to extend out helping hand financially is stalled because of the elections. It may or may not reappear until January a lot of people are in desperate situation. And I know that the yeah. NPSC is, has a lot of things going on right now to help people. Can let's go into a little more depth on that.
5: Yes, certainly because this is a, this is an important part of this equation as well. Uh, the commission has really been uh, focused on this effort uh, and on the impacts of the pandemic ever since uh, I remember we started asking questions on what the possible impact uh, could be in late February. Uh, mm-hmm. but have been focused on this since uh, mid-March when the uh, initial uh, stay-at-home orders were issued. So, uh, you know, one of the primary things that we did was bring together state agencies, our state utilities, uh, and uh, the commission staff, and try and figure out first, what is the, the best way to increase eligibility to reduce challenges and pathways for customers to access Uh, energy assistance. So customers right now can access energy assistance, uh, state emergency relief uh, from the Department of Human Health Services. Uh, They can also access energy assistance and other means of assistance through their local utility. Um, So, you know, the first thing I would say is to contact your local utility, uh, contact DHHS and look for those energy assistance pathways. And then the other uh, thing that uh, other possibility that is available there as well is, you know, looking for opportunity to reduce your energy bill. All of the utilities across the state uh, have energy waste reduction or energy efficiency programs. So not only are there opportunities for customers to receive direct energy assistance, but there's also opportunities for customers to opt into programs that allow them over the long term, whether we're in a pandemic or not to reduce their electricity bill and and again, save uh, energy over the long-term.
1: So if you um, are afraid you have fallen for one of these scams and you are afraid you have released uh, personal information to someone who's gonna right. do something bad with it, what, what can you do?
5: What should you do? Well, the first thing that we ask for customers to do, even if you haven't fallen for one of those scams and you've just been contacted, door to door by phone or otherwise is to contact the any utilities that that scam tried to claim, uh, that they were being one, one of the scams that we're seeing right now is that, uh, uh, particularly by telephone, uh, some scammers are using spoofing. So the caller ID on your cell phone may actually show up from the utility that they're trying to claim as, uh, calling from. Uh, mm. so again, it, it, they, <laughs> It's a uh, it's a cat and mouse game. They're continuing to uh, advance as as we set up protections for for customers. So it, it you know contact your utility company. Make sure to inform them about that. That'll not only protect you, but that'll help to get this information out and to protect other customers as well. And then also uh, you know if you have fallen for one of these scams, you should contact uh, your bank. You should. Uh, Contact also the attorney general's office because they have a consumer protection division and they could uh, move forward with criminal criminal actions if necessary.
4: What about uh, I don't think these are schemes, but I'm always a little concerned about it. There's some independent operators that want to sell you gas uh, programs and contracts, things like that. I'm not saying they're schemes, but should people
5: be wary of those? Well, no, certainly we allow for uh, gas, uh, independent gas utilities to be able to uh, sell you their services here in the state of Michigan. Uh, What I would suggest is on the uh, Michigan Public Service Commission's website, uh, we have a a page there that uh, clearly lays out all of the companies who are operating uh, in the uh, private sector that are allowed and um, are regulated. Uh, in order to sell um, uh, those gas services here in the state, uh, you know, I think with any of these things as you are approached, because many of those natural gas providers do approach customers door to door, ask questions uh, and just ensure that the individual who's coming to your door and asking you that information uh, is who they say they are and is not trying to pressure you into getting into those agreement or to submit any forms of payment. And I think this is especially important for senior customers and, and and those customers who may be new immigrants or may not have uh, English as their first language. And again, could create some challenges or, or opportunities for scams there.
1: Okay, um, if if you're afraid, I mean, should you also call contact local police? You know, if you
5: if you've fallen for one of these, or if you're afraid, you have certainly. If you if you have fallen for one of these scams, or are uh, you know having <clears throat> some of these more coercive tactics, especially if they are done door to door, we do encourage you to uh, call the local police department uh, and and report that issue as well.
4: Yeah, I've had some of those people come to my door and they're particularly aggressive, Uh, you know, so I'm not much on anybody coming to my door trying to sell me anything, particularly during the political season, right? But I mean, yeah, they are pretty aggressive.
5: Yes, yes. Uh, we, we certainly, um, if if those tactics are seen as too aggressive or too coercive, um, customers do have the ability to file a complaint with the commission. Uh, and, and again, our website is michigan.gov forward slash MPSC. Uh, but what we're really talking about here today are those individuals, those organizations who are uh, either trying to pose themselves as a uh, electric or natural gas utility or just trying to use, again, uh, some other means to uh, get uh, individuals personal identification information or, or have them hand over uh, credit card or uh, uh, other uh, payment information.
4: We have about a minute left. So once you give those addresses one more time, if, if you think someone is trying to victimize you with these scams, what are, who do they contact? How do they reach them?
5: Yeah, the first thing to do is again contact your utility company, and and you can contact them by phone. It should be right there on utility bill. If you have unfortunately fallen for one of these scams, you can contact the attorney general's customer uh, consumer protection division. And then finally, uh, for more information, they can happily go to uh, michigan.gov forward slash mpsc. That'll take them to our website, which has consumer protection information as well as information on energy assistance and other forms of uh, assistance and services they can access during this really challenging time.
1: Right. Okay,
5: once again, uh, Tremaine Phillips, a member of the Michigan
1: Public Service Commission, which regulates electric, natural gas, and telecommunications uh, companies and utilities in the state of Michigan. Uh, once again, that's michigan.gov slash MPSC. Tremaine, thanks for being with us today.
5: Hey, thank you so much, and thank you for taking time to talk about this really important topic. Our okay. pleasure. Well, we'll be back in
1: just a minute with another segment of the M-Squared TechCast. For right now, it's Matt Roush. And Mike Brennan. And you're watching MITechNews.tv.
5: Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything
2: salaries of lawrence tech grads are among the highest of any university in america plan a campus visit to meet with counselors faculty and coaches why wait find out more at ltu.edu as a lawrence technological university graduate you're not only marketable you're worth more yes more according to payscale.com when it comes to graduate salaries ltu is in america's top 100 be invaluable be more at ltu possible is everything Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's
1: Matt Roush.
4: Yes, there we go. Okay, you start, Matt.
1: (laughs) Okay, it's Matt Roush. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast. We have cleared the second half hour of the show today for an in-depth report on the latest in the coronavirus pandemic from our our, uh, favorite epidemiologist, Fred Brown of Birmingham. Uh, Fred, welcome back to the show for another week. Um, We've seen significant spikes in both the national numbers and in Michigan numbers, and I keep reading now about how this thing is spreading into the least populated parts of the country, which was the last place it had to spread into. And also
4: impacting our political figures as they move around the country, but we won't go into the politics of it. So, uh.
1: well, yeah, (laughs) Mike Pence's office and and, and the political rallies. uh, Okay, sure. All right.
4: Yeah. So what's your take on what's happening, Fred?
0: Well, uh, sadly, you know, we're not in control of the virus. Uh, and that's just been the case uh, uh, for a number of months now. And we'd, we've talked about that a few times, as, as the fact that we'd had a few bursts here and there with uh, New York and Texas uh, and California, but that fundamentally the trend is going up. And now we're getting to a point where it's endemic throughout the United States, so there are no real safe areas to go. Uh, and so uh, if you're thinking that, you know, you can be up north or be in Montana and, uh, and, and avoid Ah, uh, the virus. In fact, it's just as dangerous there as it is in in our inner cities.
4: today. Yeah, even the UP is reporting a very bad situation up there, and you wouldn't think that because it's so sparsely populated, right?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's true, and the and the challenge with when you get to more sparsely populated areas is is their health systems are a lot uh, are 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 actually not as robust as, as the ones in the inner city. So the further you get away from, you know, the inner cities where they do have ICUs, they do have a lot of ventilator support. They have, you know, people who are ready to be able to, to separate COVID patients, you know, from the other patients. That's one of the big problems we got in the countryside is that if you're in a 25 bed hospital out in the country, it's very hard to create a separate ward just for the and isolate the COVID patients. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, you know, spreading among, the the patients in in, in 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 those in those places. So it's important that if you do have COVID and you've got bad symptoms, to try to get yourself to a teaching hospital, uh, or or to a to a to a centered hospital that can really help you rapidly. Uh, yeah, was I guess it was uh, that, that
4: was, it's one advantage of living here in Ann Arbor is we've got more medical than you can shake a stick at here, right? So uh,
0: yeah, Ann Arbor's yeah, not a bad place <laughs> to be. If you got if you want to make you wanna yeah, yeah, be in a place and in yeah,
1: between a U of M and, place. yeah, between U of M and Saint Joe's, man, I'll tell you. Yeah, right, excellent. Yeah. We have very um, and, very and yet and yet, Fred, I keep seeing I'm still seeing comments on social media. That's always somebody like, well, my sister-in-law is a nurse at Beaumont and she says it's a ghost town. So where are all these cases that they're talking about? So yeah. what, what do you say to something like that?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's uh, so there are some parts of the country that are completely overwhelmed. I mean, if, you, if you're if you in parts of Florida, if you're in parts of South Dakota, if you're in, in, in parts of uh, of the cities that are uh, the, especially the groups that are the states that are really taking off fast um, there, you'll see over o- overwhelming conditions. So in South Dakota, they're actually having to bus people to Montana. It's that bad, you know, so you don't want to be in that situation. And it's a good thing that it's a ghost town. What they've done is they have actually isolated entire floors at uh, at Beaumont, for example, and and made those available just to COVID patients. And so what happens is, uh, you know, you're sitting there going, gosh, you know, we got a lot of other patients. Why do we have all these separate beds? And that's because the COVID patients take a long time to heal. You know, we're talking about a, a length of stay that can be four or five, 15 days, 20 days. Uh, some people are in the hospital 60 days, and mm. so you don't want to be caught, you know, having to care for those patients and having to move those patients if you haven't isolated. And so there are probably parts of Beaumont, and, and, and you know, I, I can imagine there are probably parts of larger hospitals that have you know, gotten prepared uh, and then are saying, gosh, you know, we've, we've got this extra capacity, can't we use it? And the answer is, well, you're taking a chance because we're going to have an upt- uptick and you're going to have a lot of patients staying for a long time.
4: Yeah, and then of course we're moving into flu season, uh, so we got the one-two punch coming up. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out uh, uh, that we talked about this previously, and I'm glad that I that I did my flying a couple weeks ago or a week ago.
0: Yeah, congratulations!
4: Because on November 1st, all these airlines are going to start filling that center seat in the aisles, and you're going to be shoulder to shoulder with everybody if you're flying somewhere for the holidays. <laughs> Well, I can only imagine, right? Uh, geez.
0: Yeah, you're, you know, you're taking a chance. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and uh, the, the more distance you're able to maintain, uh, the better you are. So maybe start flying first class if you can. Uh, I know it's very super expensive, but if you're in a compromised if you're you know got a compromised situation or a compromised patient, I'd recommend uh, probably driving. Interestingly, there's there's sort of a big business going on with renting mobile homes. So, uh, you know, if you need to go across the country and you want to see the family, bring the whole family with you, you rent the mobile home, and you got your whole hotel there, you got everything you need to have, and you drive to, you know, your aunt's, and you're pretty well sequestered that way all the way through the process versus flying mm-hmm. out. And then maybe see a little bit of the country, you know? Why not?
4: Yeah, because you have to also wonder about motels, hotels, who's been in that bed the night before, and how clean is it kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that's actually, I, I hadn't thought of that. That's actually a great way to, to maybe do that. So,
1: yeah, we stayed, we went and visited. We had a socially distanced uh, 80th birthday party for my father-in-law weekends ago in uh, Benzie County near Traverse City. And it was held in a 40 by 60 foot pole barn with the garage doors open. Thank God it was warm enough that we were able to do that. <laughs> it's getting cooler now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everybody, everybody was in mass. But what really scared me was, was the hotel room um but we just we just brought you know Lysol and wipes with us and sanitized the hell out of everything you know when we got there and did it a couple more times while we were staying there. Plus, it had a window that opened, which was nice. That's so, great. So you
4: weren't you weren't sleeping in one of those bunny suit kind of things, like yeah. Uh, no. you know. oh, all right,
1: good. I did I did bring my own pillow though. yeah. Oh, go okay. Yeah, bring your own pillow.
0: Absolutely. You have those little silk bags that you can slip into if you want to, and uh, <laughs> sit on top of the bed. But uh, trick trick on, on wiping those things down is to actually get those spray bottles and really really soak the surfaces if you can. Those yeah. high surfaces, especially the the clicker of the TV, the on off switches. Of uh uh for for light switches all those areas you know are are and the toilets you want to make sure you you know you probably Ventilate as much as you can with a with a fan and and yeah,
1: we left the fan on the whole time and and the only problem with leaving the window open was it didn't have a screen, so we had about nine million ladybugs in the room when we got back. But other than that, so because they, they, I mean, this time of year they're looking for someplace warm, right? So you know, well, you know, it is it is the season,
0: uh, it is the election season, and I did uh, put something together uh, a few months ago actually, and I sent it out to both campaigns. I sent it out to the Trump campaign. And I sent it out to uh, at that point uh, Biden hadn't even been selected yet, but I thought I'd show you what I th- what I thought was the what were the important things to focus upon. I showed you a little bit about the map uh, uh, that we showed and how to you know uh, what, where uh, where where to try to influence the vote based on COVID policy, uh-huh. um, and uh, that that was beneficial to both parties. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my interest is in trying to save lives by in, with improved policy. And so I wanted to show you uh, what I put together a, a little while ago, uh, and uh, and that it now has now been picked up uh, by a number of groups, because a lot of, I, I was working, as you know, with both Republican and Democratic states, and the Republican uh, and the Democratic governors were saying, you know, it'd be very helpful to have this talked about at the higher level. So this is what I put together. If it's if it's of interest, I, I can I can show it to you quick.
1: Sure, yeah, sure. All right. Uh, if everything you've ever shown us so far has been of interest, so I'm assuming that's going to continue. So <laughs> <you'll> go <laughs> right me, ahead.
0: Let me uh, put this onto a onto a slideshow because I. Uh, I don't want to show you too much of it because it, it's actually a very large discussion that a number of people put together. Uh, but it's, I thought it was oh, interesting. So, basically, this is back uh, a, a while ago, and uh, I sent this to both campaigns. I was interested in improved healthcare, and I said, you know, my, in my experience, the way that we're currently going after COVID uh, is going to be cha- it is going to result in a, in a in a challenging situation in the fall. And uh, sure enough, we here we are, and I and I said, you know, in in my experience, you can't really control a virus like COVID uh, that's going across the country and spreading like it is with an uncoordinated policy at the national level, because uh, if you try to do that, what happens is uh, what's happened is that everything devolves back to the states, devolves back to the municipalities, devolves back to individuals, who then, you know, are are responsible for making a decision. And the problem is, they'll, they'll make individual decisions that might optimize it for themselves. But then, when you put it all together, they, the, all those decisions start to counteract each other. So, we have a whole bunch of states that are you know, doing one thing, going one direction, a whole bunch of states are going another direction, and they're counteracting what each other are doing. And that's what we're seeing, sadly, uh, in, in a number of areas in the United States. And so, uh, I think that the, I thought there were seven transitions that were required. The first one is you have an overall US strategy. So that it, things are fitting into one system, people are communicated to consistently across the whole country, so you're not getting spatters of of of, of misunderstanding and confusion all over the country, which I think we were having. And we still have, to, to a large extent, because there's so much data now that's starting to come out. And the other thing you want to have is a standards program that attaches itself to the, to, to, to the strategy so that you can't have, in one state I'm working with, you know, they have, you know, our positivity rate, when it gets over ten percent, we're you know we want to raise the flag. I, I work with another state. This is once the positivity rate gets over two percent, I want to raise the flag. Well, you know that that's a big difference uh, in terms. Of, well, it, 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 it's it's a it's a fivefold difference um, uh, in 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 the trigger that you're using, and so and those states happen to be right next door to each other uh, with with a big city in between them, and uh, they're having a lot of trouble. Uh, in one part of the city <laughs> uh, where people are driving across uh, from, who are, and, and they're infecting the other part of the city. Uh, and so it's, a, it's a, uh, one state and the other state, and it's a big town. So you want to have an objective scorecard that measures and monitors the state programs coherent accurate is timely one of the big problems having these 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 data sets come through the states and it takes this what happens is i don't know if you know those those curves that we put together for at johns hopkins but we have to use seven year seven day averages so you see these little spikes all over the place that has nothing to do with real rates that has to do with the data that's dumped in right so we have to smooth out that that curve so that the spikes don't get confusing you know because it turns out that Massachusetts will dump everything on a Saturday morning, <laughs> their entire weeks, last week of work, and now suddenly you got a huge spike in Saturday. Well, that didn't happen on Saturday, it happened the whole week, but we had so that's why we're using a seven day average. Some some states are quite good, actually, Massachusetts is quite good, and it, it, it actually deposits every day. But there are other states that do you, you, you wait a, a week every Saturday morning, all of a sudden, boom, you get a hit, and it's very hard to do our models that way, and, and so on. But, but at any rate, we're we don't have timely metrics, so we can't intervene consistently uh with the with what's going on on the ground and uh the other problem is we don't communicate very consistently either so everyone's sort of wondering what the right levels are what to do what's next what that mean, and so that's the first thing i thought was was missing and i and i've worked with a lot of countries and they and all the countries that have been successful have had a national strategy and they, they've and some of these are really strong dictators, others are are huge democracies like india others are you know uh you know Dictator states in Africa, but they always had someone on top of this that was watching everything that was going on. Usually military, actually. So that that's what was missing in the United States, and I was concerned about it. So that's one big thing that I that I pushed uh, early on. The second, All right. big... go ahead, go ahead, Fred. Well, keep going. I, uh, if you have questions, feel free. But the, the second big thing I was concerned about was the rationing. You know, we are the United States of America. We pay more for our healthcare than anybody else in the world. We have the, the best some of the best healthcare in the, in the world, period. And we're rationing masks, you know, pieces of paper that we, we can't seem to get paper and, and, and elastic straps around the back of the head for for every person in the country. We were able to, you know, down the street and Willow, will, we were able to man, manufacture what? A B fifty two every sixty-two minutes or something, right? In the middle of World War II. What is going on? This is crazy. We can't get enough spray bottles what? You know, I I work with guys all the time who are constrained on their wipes. They can't get the wipes to come through. They can get the chemical. They can't get the wipes to put it because, you know, apparently there are two contracts that run the whole thing in their next two years and no one had planned for any additional capacity. So all these things, the rationing of PPE PPE has really been a problem. And you don't really notice it because everyone says, well, you know, I don't really need the mask and this, but you do need the mask. Trust me. Uh, If you had better PPE, uh, there's a huge difference. And i Um, You know, if in the studies that we've conducted, if you wear a cloth mask, you're going to your your effective your effective uh, stoppage of the virus is about 83 percent, 17 percent is going to get by. So you're going to have a 17 percent attack rate after 15 minutes. If you're wearing a surgical mask, that number drops to about 5 percent. If you're wearing PP, if you're wearing, you know, a really uh, N95 well-fitted mask, you're talking about, you know, fractions of a percent the technology makes a huge difference and the fact that we don't have the best technology for every american out there and especially the healthcare workers who are now we're using their masks and that's just unacceptable and we haven't we got two companies that basically manufacture all of our masks and you know they're sitting fat and happy but it's killing us. And uh, we, we have to uh, get, uh, you know, we really have to start to use the, D- the defense production act to sit, to sell, to tell people like Procter and Gamble, tell people like Kimberly Clark who manufacture Pampers every day at this volume to say, Hey, can you start manufacturing some of these masks? And right now it's 3M and Honeywell that do all of our mass production. And they're, they're small, they're small potatoes in the, in the, in the overall scheme of things compared to others countries who are better, better at this than we are. So, you know, the fact that that's the next big thing, the rationing part, has to stop.
4: Well, the other thing now is masks have become political, uh, oh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. One okay. party says wear a mask, and the other party says don't. So, I mean, it's it's a mess.
0: Well, they haven't said don't, but they haven't been consistent. You know, and that's part. communication is important here. And they've said, you know, do what you think is right, and we recommend masks, and please watch the CBC, uh, what they have to say. So, you know, they're not quite uh, – at any rate, we just need to get more mass out there. Let's just, you know, <laughs> that's what, that, that much we can agree on. Then we have the insufficient testing, right? We are not testing enough, period, because we're not testing any of the asymptomatic. That's 40% out there. So we can't localize the enemy, right? We can't say, the, you know, well, COVID virus is at X percent in this neighborhood. We have no idea what the COVID virus is because we're not measuring the asymptomatics. And what you really need to do is you want to test almost everybody Who's mobile almost every day, like they do at the White House. You know, you come into the White House, you're going to get a test. And the same thing should be true at your business, same thing should be true ultimately at your home, so you know what your what your status really is. And and those tests are available, but the FDA doesn't have EUA uh, available for those. They don't have an emergency use authorization available for a home test. They seem to think somehow that, you know, the 1,500 or so central labs are somehow going to take care of, you know, conducting conducting. 40 times the number of tests that they're currently able to conduct. I mean, that's crazy. It's not gonna happen. So you actually have to sit, you know, stand up and say, we're gonna test every American. Here's the, here are your home tests. Start conducting these tests at home and let us know what, what the answer is so we know where the where this virus is and we can go after it. So that's that's a big piece. And then we we don't we're not quarantining at all. And, and of course we're so overwhelmed with the number of people who have this thing that we can't do bucketing tests. So sometimes if you get overwhelmed, you can start to collectivize the test. Well, we've got such a high percentage of test positives. We can't do that because it's not efficient, as it it turns out. And we also can't trace very effectively because if you have to trace back two or three generations of contact and you're talking about 10, 15 percent positivity rates, you know almost everybody you talk to is going to say, "Oh yeah, I've already, you know, I've already got the disease." In fact, please contact thirty more people <laughs> that I may have contacted because <laughs> because I've been been, been under uh, because I feel under the weather right now. And then you, you you just can't you just can't get your control over it. So it's so overwhelming that you just have to test everybody now. You just can't you can't screw around with testing, track and this and that. It's it's hard to, to, to do to set up it will come just too late. And then of course we have vaccines for America, and we've done a really good job with vaccines, and a lot of a very good jobs with, with accelerating medicine. You know, some some of these, te- some of these things have gone faster than I had ever dreamed, and it's been remarkable how much the you know these kind of guys have come together. The issue is that we pissed off almost the entire world as a result of the way we did this, because we came in and we said you know it's America first, and we're only going to do American vaccines, and so we were stuck with. Basically, the technologies that we had in our American companies, and so that was about ten big bets that we placed, and they're great companies. But there are 179, you know, people who, different different vaccines in production, and chances are one of those 179 is probably going to be better than one of the tests that we just happened to be in Pfizer's warehouse, right? Um, and so I shouldn't pick on Pfizer. It was all the it was all the big manufacturers that we had, uh, and so we should rejoin. The WHO because otherwise you're not going to be able to test for the future vaccine, right? As soon as you're Pfizer and say, I've got my test validated and, and I got it authorized and it's licensed. Thank you very much. I'll just, I'll just focus on my vaccine. And uh, I know that that one down the street is maybe seven or 8% better, but you know, uh, it's not really in my interest to, to see that, you know, uh, this little, com- this little company in Germany or wherever gets my market. So they're going to start protecting their market. It's going to be hard for these new little companies to get in. And we'll be stuck with a first-generation vaccine that might not be that great um, unless we rejoin the global community and start to test all these vaccines side-by-side, you know, compared to Because right now, the Pfizer tests are different from the Moderna tests. They're using different endpoints. They're using different clinical st- uh, 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 methodologies. And that's hard to compare. Apples to apples, when you got that, well, WHO is designed to do that. It actually looks at this test versus that test versus that, and picks the best one. Period. And of course, then we're losing global populations, and we can go a lot faster uh, where they have where we have the outbreaks. We may not be in an outbreak, and once we once we test, you know, pass the first vaccine, you're not you're not going to want to go to an uh, in, into a clinical trial where you only get a 50-50 chance of getting a vaccine when one's available out there. So, and you know, once once we're done with our first test you know, a first vaccine, excuse me, we're, we're, we're sort of stuck with with that generation of vaccine for a long time. Us are able to, you know, to get back into the global community. So we have to do that quick. And then, of course, we have to start to trust some of the, the politicians. Well, not the politicians. You know, I wouldn't trust what you hear on TV from politicians, basically. They've all got agendas. I wouldn't trust what you hear from business people much uh, on, on the TV. I do think that the healthcare, the, the people who have you know, devoted their lives to public health, Devote their lives to epidemiology, have a PhD and you know advanced degrees in the space. Um, they generally are pretty objective these days. You know, I, I, I haven't seen many people who are who are off the page in terms of what to be done. Everyone's pretty consistent. You know, if you talk to the guys who I talk to, we're all. You know, there's not very much discussion about whether you know what 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 to do at this point. It's all pretty clear. Uh, so. We need to have data transparency so people understand what the data says and why we're saying these things. And has to be pretty. And, and the expert should should present a full set of data. It shouldn't be the head of your investment uh, bank saying you know I, we think that this 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 is better than that. It should be a scientist who, who you know has access to the to the data and the complete data set, not you know sort of slowly releasing data that uh, helps their stock price, which is what we're seeing a lot right now. And we have to recruit a lot of new leaders in in, our, in some of our institutions. Sadly, especially the CDC who let us down, uh, and that that you know that was happening already in May when I wrote this. Unfortunately, then we have the, the we have a really fractured health infrastructure. We've always had that problem, right? Everyone goes to slightly different areas, and so uh, and, and we don't have anything that's really designed for pandemic outbreak. We've got we're pretty good at maintaining if you're if you're if you got a that pathogen that's in control like the flu or in control like pneumonia and don't have a big outbreak, our our existing infrastructure is pretty good for that. But where, we, where we're falling down with COVID is we've got to have a fast infrastructure right now that's, that's ready for outbreaks, ready all over the country, simultaneously, ready to go, and we don't have that kind of infrastructure. So that has to be redone, especially with real-time testing, real-time uh, capabilities. You have to have earlier detection systems, earlier Testing and quarantining, and then we have to have, be able to rapidly flex the infrastructure to to be ready for a pandemic because this is not going to be our first pandemic, right? We're going to have another one. I mean, we we had thirteen hundred and seventy one epidemics breaking out in different parts of the world since two thousand seven. So the chance that we you know aren't aren't going to get another pandemic like this in the next ten years is really low. So every any investment we make right now is going to pay off. And then the last point is right now we're being you know forced into. You know, it's going to be either health or the economy you can choose either one or the other and the, the truth is that you know if you think about the interventions we got which is PPE and mask wearing you don't have to shut down the economy to do that you know you can have you can wear a mask and still you know pay, pay, pay a credit card bill <laughs> or, or go out and shop you know that's possible to do uh, and and so it's it's not it's not that we have to choose between one or the other and in fact if we don't get this health thing under control, we're never going to get our economy back again. So you got to get the health thing back under control and then you can move forward in the economy. And it's not really a stimulus package. They keep talking about the stimulus package, this and that. It's not, a, It's we're just trying to be able to mothball what we got to preserve it so that when the thing does pass through and we think that's probably going to be another 18 months, Sadly, uh, and it's probably going to cost us six trillion dollars a year to you know to pay for this. But you know it's better than shutting down, everything down and having lots of deaths. That's for sure. Uh, which happens when you do, when you're out of control in a pandemic. Uh, that's that, that so that's that's what we need to get to. So
1: we got. To I, I don't I don't think you have to get political because when it comes to that column on the right. Yeah, we are doing we are doing exactly none of those things now. <laughs> that's sad, you know. That, that's that's what's so depressing, know.
0: depressing to me. Exactly, <laughs> I know. Yeah. We can't seem to pass the fiscal stimulus in the Congress. I just can't believe that. I mean, I don't know what the heck they're waiting for. You're talking. Well, I I know what's happening. So what, what part of the issue is that there are some people who are saying, look at the stock market. It's a V-shaped recovery. You know, we went down. We're coming back up again. So we don't need any of this stimulus stuff. If we stimulate, we're going to have inflation. Well. That's the stock market. The real economy isn't doing that. And If you talk to literally any economist on the planet, they're going to tell you, no, no, you need to put some money into that economy or you're going to have permanent disruption and permanent scarring to your economy because you're going to have to restart it somehow and, or, or you can just preserve it as it is. And well, you could you you pay rebuild- now or pay later
1: is more or less the situation, right?
0: That's- and you pay a lot more later, trust me, because I've had to yeah. rebuild economies after a pandemic's gone through and, it, and it, it, it's, you start from nothing.
1: And right now, we're starting from a lot, right? So (laughs) we got $21 trillion to work with. So let's let's not ruin that. Well, and it strikes me that the countries that have gotten this really under control, um, I mean, yes, they're smaller than us. They're more uh, homogenous than us. But it seems like the key to this thing has been widespread testing, like testing, 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 and then contact tracing of people who either have it or have been exposed. And then a strict quarantine for those people who either have it or have been exposed. With financial compensation to you know, get them through that time of quarantine, they figure out, okay, you've been exposed, but you're not going to get it. So here's three weeks' pay. I mean, is that really that hard to do? I don't think so. And it seems like that's those are the countries that really have it under control, have done those three things.
0: And China's actually going to grow 2% this year. on GDP. Uh, you know, they're, they're the only economy on the, that's going to make that happen. But they're, they're actually going to grow 2% this year on us. You know, and, and so this, this is not rocket science. It is basic, you know, blocking and tackling of health, of, of public health. And we just we just stumbled uh, early on and then we never really caught up. We, just, we stumbled with the testing early on. We never got in front of the virus. And it just we, we and since then, we've just had a challenge. And we also have miscategorized it. You know, we frankly, we kept putting it in the flu the flu bucket. And it just isn't the flu. And so all the people who we had a, uh, with expertise in the CDC and said they put it in that center of the CDC, and that just wasn't appropriate. It was, we had a much higher death rate, much higher trans- transmission rates. It wasn't seasonal. didn't have a vaccine attached. I mean, there were a whole bunch of problems with the way we assigned the, we assigned the authority for this.
4: We have about two minutes left. What sure. can we say in the final two minutes? <laughs>
0: Be careful! Uh, you know it—it—it—it—it—it's—it's it, it's starting. You know what? 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 I, I said a couple of weeks ago, if you want to do some stuff, do it this week. Don't wait until November. Well, it's November now, and just be really careful because it, it, it's this thing is is out there. It's looking for for kindling, and if you're just let your guard down a little bit. It's going to find you, and it may not hurt you, but it it will go through your family fast. I mean, we're talking about if you're married, uh, 76% uh, attack rate. If you've got kids, 26% attack rate. And generally, it it moves from children. Now we're seeing uh, after about a two-week period to the adults, and then uh, sadly, uh, in about three weeks to the next generation, which is the grandparents and and, 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 older people.
4: And rethink those holiday parties. Oh, uh, please, probably yeah. a very bad idea, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my wife and I, are, we usually have 40 people come to dinner for Thanksgiving. This year, it's just her and I and the dog. Yeah, we got it. And we got a 36 pound turkey. So <laughs>
1: we'll send some out after make the but... dog
4: happy, right?
1: So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the dog will a Plenty there. of leftovers <laughs> for the dog in the freezer. That's
4: right. <laughs> so, all um, right, we're going to have to leave it at that because Dave's got a hard stop at three o'clock with another show. So, Take him out there, Matt.
1: All right. Well, uh, once again, this has been uh, our very own Dr. Doom epidemiologist, Fred Brown. Fred, what's what's your web address again? Fredbrown.com.
0: Come on. I'm stop back. by. You've, great to all have right. you. And you can see all the everything we've done with, with Mike and the team uh, 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 and Matt uh, and the team uh, uh, on that site.
1: All right. Well, thanks uh, to Fred. Thanks to all our guests on the uh, M2 TechCast today. We'll be back again next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, this is Matt Roush and Mike Brennan, and you've been watching the M Squared Techcast at MItechnews.tv. TV.
2: Thanks for listening to M Squared Techcast, a live internet radio show offering the latest.